Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, it's Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast. It's Tuesday, August 16th. Today, a New York City climate fight that also has implications for cities around the whole country. Back in 2019, New York City Council, under the de Blasio administration, enacted a law designed to tackle the top source of climate pollution in the city, buildings. Buildings, as you may or may not know, account for approximately two-thirds of greenhouse gas emissions in New York City, according to city data. The law, called Local Law 97, is the first of its kind in the nation to set specific enforceable limits on air pollution, specifically climate pollution, from buildings, residential and commercial. But it's unclear whether or not the Mayor Eric Adams administration will do what advocates think is needed to actually enact and enforce the Bill de Blasio era law. And with climate policy changing from from one presidential administration to the next, so much, for better or worse, worse, is up to cities and states themselves. That's the argument of my next guest. And joining me now is Pete Sikora, Climate and Inequality Campaigns Director at the advocacy group New York Communities for Change. Pete, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to WNYC. Thank you so much, Brian. In a recent New York Focus article, which I will begin with, you write that Local Law 97 is the world's most important municipal-level climate and jobs law. Wow. What are some of the most important provisions? Yeah, it's a it's a very big deal because it tackles the top source of climate heating pollution from New York City, which is large buildings, uh, as you pointed out. Uh, it creates tens of thousands of jobs in design, renovation and construction in upgrading those buildings to high energy efficiency over the coming years. So it sets specific per square foot limits on climate heating pollution and then enforces those limits. So that's an incredibly important thing. Where does this fit in in a national context before we drill down on some of the specifics of the law uh, after the the general intro you just gave? Where does this fit in in a national context? How much is it a groundbreaking model for cities around the country? Or are many cities with bigger buildings already doing some version of this? Oh, this is a this is a huge first law. Uh, So um, about 40 percent of climate heating pollution nationwide derives from energy use in buildings. In New York City, as you pointed out, it's about 70%. So many people think cars and trucks are the top source of pollution, and that's true nationally. But here in New York City, it's buildings. So this law sets a huge precedent, a first precedent in tackling that source of pollution, which is a dominant source of pollution nationwide. So it's incredibly important. It's very hard to overstate how big a deal it is. So according to the city, Local Law 97 will require most buildings over 25,000 square feet to meet new energy efficiency and greenhouse gas emissions limits by 2024, that's very soon, with stricter limits coming into effect in 2030. The goal is to reduce the emissions produced by 40 percent by 2030 and 80 percent by 2050. So take us into this on the practical level. How would some of the city's biggest buildings go about reducing their admissions, and especially in this first wave by 2024, which obviously is just two years from now? Oh, sure. So uh, the law stimulates what could become the beginning of a Green New Deal in New York City in overhauling buildings, cutting pollution, and creating uh, new jobs. So 
Um, if you're a New Yorker like me, you've probably lived in an apartment that's so hot in the winter that you open up the window to cool it down, which is like a crazy waste of energy uh, and throws a lot of money out the window too. So closing that type of energy waste is the path to reducing pollution from these large buildings. So um, on the buildings, it depends on what uh, shape the building is in, um, but the law sets an overall limit and then allows building owners the flexibility to figure out how exactly they want to bring down pollution. So depending on the building, that can be everything from very simple stuff like LED light bulbs instead of incandescent light bulbs, heating, uh, insulating heating pipes. Those are very low cost, very quick payback solutions to reducing your energy waste. And then more complicated stuff down the line on a multi-decade level is new windows, green roofs, better HVAC systems, sensors, all of those kinds of things. So building owners should take a multi-decade approach to figuring out the capital plan upgrades necessary to reduce their energy waste, which will also end up saving the money too. So I hear you. There are various paths that building owners can take to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. Just for context, if this local law 97 applies to buildings over 25,000 square feet, um, how does that translate for the layperson? Like how tall an apartment or office building would 25,000 total square feet be? You know, it's bigger than a bread basket, Brian. Um, <laughs> well, so so it's a, it's a half a football field in size. So uh, a six-story tall building common in New York City would be covered. Um, my four-unit co-op, a brownstone-type townhouse, is not covered. There are a million buildings in the city. 50,000 of them are over 25,000 square feet. They're just 5% of buildings, but they're the majority of the pollution uh, coming from buildings from the city. And how much of this only pertains to new construction and how much will current buildings have to retrofit? You know, the city just passed a fantastic new law that ends gas in all new construction. Uh, so um, new buildings are going to be built fossil free, which is fantastic. That's now practical and affordable and saves money uh, on gas bills. Um, but about 90% of the buildings that are going to be up in 2050 are already built. So while the city is building about 2,000 new buildings per year, and they're all covered by that gas ban, or will be in the coming years, and uh, local Law 97's provisions, it's really the existing buildings that are the dominant uh, opportunity for cutting pollution and creating good jobs. So in your recent piece, you argue that Mayor Eric Adams, who was supported by the real estate lobby during his candidacy, you say, is now in the critical implementation period of this law, and his intentions, you write, are clear as mud. Your phrase, clear as mud. So yeah. how is the mayor sending muddy signals on what he intends to do? Well, it's mostly his spokespeople uh, who uh, represent him on this issue. And uh, to paraphrase, they say a variety generally of uh, something along the lines of, this law is great, it's fantastic, it needs to be implemented, but we're very concerned about the penalties and some of the requirements may be unfair. So I'm paraphrasing here, but that's their general thrust. And so the mayor uh, is, of course, very close to the uh, real estate lobby, as, uh, as the, which supported him heavily in his election run and is now uh, filling up his campaign account. Um, and so um, we want him to fully implement and enforce the law. And that means making sure that as the key regulations that he decides, his Department of Buildings decides, 
what what to put into place that those regulations are done in a manner that protects the public, not developers' interests. So, for example, what would he need to do specifically between now and 2024 in order to show that he is uh, serious about implementation? Well, so um, at the end of this year, the first set of key rules and regulations that govern how the law is implemented uh, are due to be put into place, and there'll be more following that. Um, And so uh, these are very detailed regulatory decisions that have to be made in a manner that will actually reduce pollution in a way that's fair to everybody. So um, there's uh, some very key examples uh, of how that could be done properly or improperly. You could either um, protect the public and reduce pollution, or you could open up big loopholes that building owners could use to evade the requirement to reduce pollution. And reading from your article, I noticed that you write only one-fifth of large buildings or about 3,000 large buildings are currently over the cap set for their buildings from 2024 to 2029. Just about any building making a good-faith effort can make these limits and avoid the law's penalty. So that's an optimistic sentence from your article. Like, we're almost all there already for 2024. Well, that's that's correct. Just on the numbers, the city uh, under Mayor Bloomberg passed legislation that requires building owners to disclose their energy use. That's called benchmarking legislation. So you can look up what buildings uh, emit, how much energy use they use. And that data is accurate. And it shows that 80 um, percent of buildings are already at the limit set for 2024 to 2029, which was set at a purposely high level to just cover the worst per square foot polluters. Most of those buildings, and there's about 3,000 of them um, that are over that limit, are barely over that limit. They're just a few ticks over it. So it shouldn't be too terribly difficult for them to come down under that limit. And these are the most inefficient, worst polluting buildings in the city. So it makes sense to have them do the simple work first. And that can include things like insulating heating pipes, tuning the boiler properly, installing LEDs. Many of these are buildings that have really not done even the basics. And how about the percentage that seem well set to meet the greenhouse, uh, greenhouse gas emission reductions by 2030? Because that's just eight years Much away. Harder. That's actually going to come up on us pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually where the rubber really hits the road. So one of the things that the mayor has to be willing to do is to impose penalties um, at the level that is set in the law and not have any funny business about letting people off uh, from their obligations uh, to, to follow the law. So the first limits are in 2024. Um, if people break the law in 2024, then they face a penalty, which would be assessed in 2025. But the 2030 limits get a lot tighter. They're actually set at a level that mirrors the pace and scale of the Paris Climate Agreement, which is also embodied in city law. So what those limits do is they are low enough, and they're set by building typology. So Um, They're set low enough that about uh, uh, three quarters of buildings are above that limit right now. So they have eight years to start to figure out a path to reduce their pollution and then continue on that path of cutting pollution through 2050. So that's a big job. Um, And that's why this law really is at a Green New Deal type scale, because it requires a level of energy efficiency that will create a lot of jobs in design, renovation, and construction in upgrading uh, buildings. 
So that's a very good thing uh, on job creation and economic development and air pollution and fighting the climate crisis. It's also nice because it saves money over time. Um, building owners, by doing these kinds of upgrades, can reduce their operating costs and their utility bills. And that's what most building owners will see in this process. That payback may take about 10 or 15 years for some buildings for the more complicated stuff, but it does save you money and you can finance those improvements. So for most building owners, they can finance the improvements and then over time actually save money over and above the costs of the financing. Is electric heat good for the climate or bad for the climate? Um, it's bad if it is uh, inefficient baseboard heating. Uh, that will cost a lot of money because it's resistance heating that is not um, not uh, not good. Um, it's it's inefficient. On the other hand, what this law pushes buildings towards is the use of heat pumps. These are um, heating and air conditioning uh, uh, systems that you see all over the city now. They're usually that. Uh, wide white um, looking air conditioner thing on a wall and it's paired with a compressor a fan and a box outside those are super super energy efficient they work on the same kind of principles as the coils in the back of your refrigerator so they move heat in and out of the building so those are really really good for reducing bills and what this law does is it induces over time uh, electrification via heat pumps and energy efficiencies that is just the beginning, um, and it needs to grow very rapidly. There needs to be a lot more money allocated into this type of Green New Deal overhaul. The federal bill that is passing right now does a little smidgen of money, but that money is not enough. It's a good beginning, but even $9 billion in that bill will go pretty fast uh, nationwide. So that kind of money needs to be increased at the federal, state, and local level. Here's Scott in Soho who says he works in HVAC. Scott, you're on WNYC. Hi there. Yeah, hi. Uh, I, I have a couple of questions because I do work in HVAC, and there's a lot of people out in Williamsburg that they've built these brand-new buildings and put heat pumps in, like you just said, and they have brownouts out there all the time because the electric grid isn't upgraded. So they have power going in. It's too much. Everybody gets home from work. They put the AC on or they put the heat on with the heat pump, which is drawing electricity, and then it overwhelms the system, and it, it damages everything. On top of that, where do you where do you think they get the electricity from? Where do we where do we get electricity from in New York? Where do we you, burn? You, you do mean we burn power, natural gas? You, you, do we burn coal? Mm-hmm. It's not magic. Yeah, these are great questions. You have questions. to burn a fossil fuel to get it. It's not a question. It's it's. I'm telling you what it is. We're not ready for all of that yet. You put the infrastructure in first. You upgrade the electric system, and then you can start doing this. I mean, people will put in more efficient systems and by the way landlords would gladly do that they're greedy (laughs) they're always looking to save money so they're going to upgrade wherever they can if you force landlords to do this when they don't have a bunch of money who do you think is going to pay for it what apartment building scott thank thank you let me let me get you some answers um interesting points as you started to acknowledge there pete what do you say Oh, well, you know, there's uh, a lot of folks out there in energy efficiency and HVAC world, and um, it is a very diverse world. Um, Some people love this law. Uh, Many people really don't like this law. Um, So just on the very simple uh, answers, the grid in downstate New York right now is very, very dirty. The gentleman is absolutely right about that. It is overwhelmingly fossil fuel powered. But that is going to shift very, very rapidly this coming decade. 
Um, when you put a heat pump on a dirty fossil fueled grid, you're, you would think that that's actually dirtier than uh, a gas powered uh, boiler, but it's not because it's very similar to how an electric car works. Um, the electric car battery is so efficient that even if it's charging off of a dirty grid, it's still a lot cleaner than a gasoline powered car. And the same is true of a heat pump. So even on today's grid, which is dirty, heat pumps are cleaner than gas or oil boilers. And the grid is gonna get much, much, much cleaner uh, in the coming decade and, uh, and out. So by 2030, state law says that the grid has to be 70% renewable energy. And um, experts will disagree whether it's going to get exactly there or over it or just under, but the directionality is very, very clear. The grid is going to get a lot cleaner over time. So we need to accelerate that and make it happen faster. Um, but heat pumps are uh, uh, save pollution right from the jump. Um, I'm happy to talk about the other detailed issues you raised as well. Yeah, well, talk about the brownouts, uh, if you see that as actually happening, and his concern that if everybody's coming home and turning on their you know, all electric utilities, uh, that the grid can't even support that right now, and it's subject to blackouts or brownouts. Well, um, the, uh, you know, I can't speak to a specific building that may be having electrical problems, um, but the city enacted a ban on gas and new construction, which moves new construction uh, onto um, heat pumps as the alternative after doing a ton of careful study. Con Ed uh, says the grid is ready. The city's modeling says the grid is ready. And common sense also says the grid is ready because the grid is designed for a summer peak of electrical use and heat pumps move that peak to the winter. So there's about 40% headroom available right now uh, on that winter peaking. So there's plenty of, of space available to avoid blackouts over the long run. This is a multi-decade future. The grid is going to be is going to have to be upgraded to carry more electricity to use all to to be able to uh, supply power for all of those heat pumps for the entire city and state. But that's not an immediate problem. That's something that there's uh, time for to plan. Let's keep going down this path because here's another caller who says he's an HVAC tech, Joseph in Ozone Park. Joseph, you're on WNYC. Yeah. Hi there. Yeah. How we doing? Um, yeah. I actually. Uh, Little my thunder stolen on the last one, but I'm fully on board with this thing. It feels like the program is a good one. The attentions are fabulous, and truly everybody's comfort level across an entire year will be better with heating and cooling and stuff. And the, these heat pumps are so efficient that you the turning on and turning off thing is an actual. They, they're most energy efficient when you just leave them at a set temperature, and there isn't any sort of surge. So that's the way. They work. My concerns are uh, just a day-to-day -day thing. I'm literally standing outside of a three-story building right now where I'm chasing line sets and electric for, on an 80-year-old building trying to find a way to adapt an old steam-heated building. There, a steam boiler is not a kind of electric doesn't work. We have tremendous amounts of steam heat in the city tremendous amounts of old brownstones uh you know row houses queens is just loaded with this stuff and my issue is basically these subsidies have to that nine billion is isn't an atom in the drop of the ocean and what is going to happen forget about i realize we're talking about specific six store you know six 
story buildings or whatever it is. But eventually this rolls into every single thing that every homeowner, one family, two family houses. I'm always deal with a ton of, uh, you know, landlords, one apartment on the second floor or something. These are the folks that are just going to get jammed up. And, you know, where the, where the money comes from, that's the issue. These, nobody's doing this. When you replace a boiler to a boiler right now, um, if you got a good person that you're working with, maybe you're working around seven thousand, eight thousand. But most people just jam it right to you you're around nine thousand, ten thousand. And now the gentleman right before me is absolutely right about these numbers being you know, when you're starting to chase the amount of labor that it takes to adapt a hundred year old building to a heat pump is incredible. So I, I'm, I'll talk to. I'm, I'm dead. So I appreciate your time. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank, thank, thank you. Me thank too, you very Joe. Much. Me too. All glad, right. All right. Glad the engineers are calling in. What, what do you say to Joseph? You know, it's uh, we want to create a lot of work uh, for contractors and uh, and for people who work for contractors through this law uh, because um, it requires a lot of capital investment and pays off over time. Um, so one of the big benefits is an economic development benefit uh, where people are going to see uh, an increase in employment in the construction and renovation industry, which really benefits NYCC's members who are predominantly low-income people in uh, communities of color in New York City. So that increased hiring and increased work is a very valuable thing from an economic development perspective. But of course, it can't be impossible to do. And that's why a law actually is necessary, because for most building owners, even though a professional can show you how you would save money over time, when you start to see what what might be necessary, it's a little bit intimidating. So it becomes much easier to just run the building the same way you've run it over time. If we had started to deal with this challenge in the 80s and 90s, when Exxon was burying the fact that climate change was such a, a looming disaster, then it would be a lot easier today. But now we have to cut our pollution by about at least 40% by 2030 and 80% by 2050. And that is a very big job, but it is a job that we can do. And that working with the city, the state, and the feds, it can get done properly subsidized and, and create a lot of jobs and save a lot of money in air pollution. Um, so those are all really good things. So um, indeed, it does cost money up front, um, and it is a complicated process to overhaul an old building, but it doesn't have to be complicated for most buildings in the city. A one- or two-family home is actually not that complicated to do and go fossil-free. There's no requirement to do that right now, but um, you, can, you can bet that down the line, the city is going to be looking at creating a set of equitable requirements on smaller and medium-sized buildings. Um, so that's that's uh, stuff that we'll be working on in the future as Local 197 on the big buildings is is implemented. From your article on New York Focus, um, you're worried that there's going to be a loophole for the building owners because Local Law 97 allows landlords to use something called renewable energy credits. And so what are renewable energy credits and how would they actually allow buildings to um, escape the kinds of conversions that are good for the climate that this law otherwise requires? Yeah, it's a very big concern. Those rules are going to have to be set in the coming months uh, or year or so, and uh, they have to be rules that protect the public. So a renewable energy credit is sort of a title to a specific amount of renewable energy that was generated 
from some project, uh, wind, solar, hydro, somewhere uh, in, in the state. And so you can buy a REC, uh, that's short for renewable energy credit, and that REC shows that you're supporting that kind of renewable energy, which is a good thing. Um, but it's not the energy that you're getting per se. Um, it's not a substitute for reducing your energy use uh, in your building and actually directly reducing the amount of fossil fuel that's being produced by the, the boiler or the furnace that is uh, working off of uh, oil or gas. So um, this law allows building owners to use renewable energy credits um, to satisfy the law's requirements. They can buy them. But it says to the mayor that he has to set a process and regulations into place for that. And so we're very disturbed because the mayor's spokespeople have been hinting that that is going to be a far too lax process that would allow building owners to simply buy out of their obligations and not upgrade their buildings. That would mean we would lose tens of thousands of jobs and pollution would not be reduced in New York City, uh, which would be worse air quality and cause uh, climate problems. So that's the kind of detailed regulatory decision where the mayor has to do the right thing and listen to the people and the experts, not the real estate developers and the lobbyists. All right. We will see how it's implemented in New York, in New York under Mayor Eric Adams and how that sets a model for the country since this is the first of its kind law in any major city in the United States. That's our climate story of the week. We thank Pete Sikora, Climate and Inequality Campaigns Director at the advocacy group New York Communities for Change. Pete, thanks so much. Thank you. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. See you tomorrow.